The Green New Deal is now a driving force in climate politics, but it's mostly theoretical, a short congressional resolution, basically a messaging document with little detail. And then on Earth Day, Mayor Bill de Blasio walked up to a mic and said, we're making this thing real. New York City is creating its own version of the Green New Deal. We are here in New York City to show how it needs to be done, to show how it must be done. Today, we announced the New York City Green New Deal. A few days before, the city council passed a group of 10 bills. It included a tax on paper bags, a green roof mandate, and a process to close oil and gas power plants around the city. But the thing that got the most attention is a law targeting tens of thousands of buildings. One of the highlights is for the first time on the earth, the first major city on the earth to mandate that our buildings must stop emitting so many dangerous pollutants, that our buildings must be part of the solution and not part of the problem. For the first time on earth, a major city says no more. I have to say, I was pretty stunned that any city would go to these lengths. Paul Kuhn is an expert on distributed energy. He's a director at Centrica Business Solutions, and he helps the people who run buildings clean up their operations. And this particular law, well, it could transform everything he does in the city. In very simple terms, over a couple of discrete timeframes, so starting in 2024, then again in 2030, and then again in 2050, the city has set a goal to reduce overall greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by 2030 and 80% by 2050. As the New York Times points out, large buildings produce a lot of greenhouse emissions, mostly due to the energy they use for things like heating, cooling, and lighting. And in order to achieve that, they've placed all of the built environment in New York City into various buckets. Example, office space, low-income housing, market-rate housing, and they've ascribed a carbon budget per square foot for each one of these buildings. A 2017 inventory of greenhouse gas emissions found buildings were responsible for 67% of the city's emissions. If your actual emissions go above and beyond that, you will have to pay a fine. So Mayor de Blasio is now saying to the owners of the biggest buildings, make these steep cuts or expect to pay up. We have no choice anymore. A lot of city leaders say they want to make a steep cut to emissions, but no one has set a hard target like this for buildings. It didn't happen overnight, of course. Mike Bloomberg tried to pass almost the exact same law while mayor in 2009, but the support just wasn't there. A lot of this was introduced 10 years ago, but just never made it through because there was not enough social pressure behind it. Aaron Miller is another energy expert who works with guys like Paul on projects. He's a partner at the energy consultancy Gotham 360. New York's building law is getting a ton of attention nationwide, partly because of its scope, but also because of that social pressure that Aaron referenced, much of it coming from backers of the Green New Deal. The groundswell of the Green New Deal and the national pressure for renewable energy and climate change, it, it affected every aspect of this policy. You can tell Mayor de Blasio is thinking really seriously about running for president because in announcing a plan to attack global warming similar to plans that have been proposed by an army of progressives, he wanted voters to know that his plan is better than everyone else's. And now, after so much theorizing about the Green New Deal, 
we can finally see what happens when a resolution meets reality. And the impact, at least in the short term, is not what you might think. I'm a huge proponent of the, the spirit of the law, not only for the climate change mitigation aspects, but also just for it makes good sense to use less electricity, use less natural gas, because it saves money. But from the standpoint of the hospitals I service, the large universities I service, the data centers, what have you, this is actually doing just the opposite. They've put a halt in some ways to almost every capital project because they don't know what's coming down the pipe. Wait, aren't targets supposed to create more certainty? Part of the problem is the way the goals are measured and penalties are structured. The law mostly targets large commercial buildings and co-ops, and those buildings are modeled based on their type, size, and electricity consumption. Pretty straightforward. But some worry that the law is too simplistic, that it actually penalizes density. So an office building that runs all day, every day, even if it's super efficient and does all the right stuff, could still get hit with big fines. For example, uh, the Bank of America Tower on 42nd Street, it is platinum LEED certified. Yes. Which means that they have done everything in the world to reduce their emissions and their carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff. Still, they say that building would face a $2.5 million fine. This beautiful modern example of, of efficiency doesn't comply. So that's a problem because we have uh, buildings that are either permits have already been pulled, they're in the middle of construction, they're in planning, what have you. And now the question is, well, do we have to go back to square one and re-examine every single element of our design? The science tells us that we need rapid, steep emissions cuts. And that's what New York's building law does. But along with being a model for the rest of the country, it's also a test case, a citywide test for how to implement an ambitious policy like the Green New Deal in this complicated, messy world. One thing that I've um, found really amazing is no matter who I've spoken to, nobody's disagreeing with the goals. Reducing greenhouse gas is fully accepted. It's the application of how we benchmark of how much we can make our buildings more efficient there are clearly buildings that can become vastly more efficient. But this legislation doesn't prize density. It doesn't prize efficiency necessarily for some of our most modern buildings. I'm Stephen Lacey. In this episode, produced in collaboration with Centrica Business Solutions, we dive into New York's new building law the unintended consequences, and the positive long-term impacts for clean energy. As New York's building owners digest the new mandate, I spoke with Paul Kuhn and Aaron Miller about how the details may play out. What can other cities, and eventually the entire country, learn from its complexities? So Aaron, you, you talked about capital projects being put on hold because of uncertainty around how this law is going to be implemented. What are some other areas that the law might influence in an unforeseen way. Well, Paul and I, Gotham 360 and and Centric Business Solutions are currently working on a, a cogen project, essentially an engine that uses natural gas and turns that natural gas into electricity and heat and use the heat to do all sorts of things. Domestic hot water, you can use an absorption chiller, but essentially it's a very efficient way to turn one therm of natural gas into energy that you can use to heat, power, cool your building. The problem is it runs on natural gas. And the way this law 
is constructed, natural gas is the demon seed. It's evil. It's a, it's a, it's a fossil fuel. We all want to get off fossil fuels, but um, we need to transition. There has to be, you can't just flip a switch and go to a fully electrified grid. That's great. You can't flip a switch and go to all renewable sources of energy. It takes time to develop these assets. The issue with uh, cogens and fuel cells, both really, really smart technology. The problem is that the way these the law is written, cogens and fuel cells are almost being written out of existence because the city looks at natural gas, every therm is natural gas, as a therm of natural gas, no matter how you use it. They look at every kilowatt hour as a kilowatt hour, no matter when you use it, when if you talk to an energy nerd like myself or Paul, we'll tell you that a kilowatt hour that you use at night has a much different carbon impact than that same kilowatt hour that's run or burned or created during the day. Um, so we'd like to see the city, if they really are serious about this, take a, a deeper look at the way they view power, how it's created, how it's transmitted, so that we can get the most out of the technologies that are existing currently as we gear up to the technologies that we see on the horizon. You know, energy storage and solar uh, are really going to be two hot things we see in the city. Uh, right. And and look, these engines are very efficient today. They are more efficient in terms of uh, carbon emissions than the energy pulled from the power grid. It's my understanding the lack of clarity is really around the definition of how distributed energy resources like cogen, uh, like uh, fuel cells, etc., fit into this picture going forward. Is there going to be some, you know, benefit to resiliency, which of course these types of engines bring any of the other attributes? It's really not been well-defined at this point. I feel like we've, I don't know, Aaron, how do you feel? Like, I, I feel like the city could be expected to, uh, could be interpreted as saying like, Hey, look, here's the big goal. House is on fire. Just get going. And maybe they're thinking that they can edit it later, but I feel like first mover, first message is still really important. Right, it is very important, and I, I agree with you. And let's, we we need to reiterate the fact that the spirit of the law is fantastic. We we're we embrace it wholeheartedly. It's a messy process. It's the classic analogy of the sausage making. Legislation is not pretty, but generally speaking, the city has a very optimistic outlook. They had to take a step. It's a bold step. Um, right now, we need bold initiatives. We need to be out front. We need to be making noise, even if some of these ideas sound a little outlandish. Uh, it's brilliant that as part of this law, they're now mandating uh, all new construction or major renovations of new buildings in the city will require either a green roof or a solar roof. It's just smart. It's logical. It makes sense. Now they have to figure out the incentive structures to make that work so building owners are more apt to jump on it. Uh, I was just at a solar and storage summit where the lieutenant governor spoke, and they're serious about putting in tons of money to uh, offshore wind, onshore wind, solar, hydro. It's all, it's all there, and we really don't have the luxury of time. So as disjointed, convoluted, and as ugly as this process is, I welcome it and I embrace it uh, because, quite frankly, 
it's a Hobson's choice. Take it or leave it. Okay, so herein lies the tension in this conversation. We need a policy like this. The science tells us that we have to act and do it on a time scale that's going to be messy, it's going to be uncomfortable, we'll probably see a lot of resistance. And we're now having this real political discussion on the national level about the merits of something like the Green New Deal, something like what New York City is doing, taking it and pushing it economy-wide. There are now plenty of other cities considering similar plans. So what does the experience of New York tell us about how or if we can make this work on a grander scale? So I went to NYU and we were in the public policy school. And we often talked about how New York was more complex and larger than some countries. So in a lot of ways, if we can make this work in New York, we can probably make it work in a lot of places. I'm aware that cities like Washington DC and others are already looking at copying policies like this. The real question will be, you know, what is the nuance that they can bring to the legislation that's out here so that there aren't kind of these perverse disincentives in my mind, like, you know, paying a fine to pay a fine instead of being able to plow that into some kind of greenhouse gas reducing project. If the building blocks at the base don't work, it can't expand to the national level. So, you know, when we are talking about these projects, we're talking about things that really are saving customers, not only money, but greenhouse gas. I believe that those foundational building blocks work, then you you can construct policy off of them because we know, Aaron and I know on a day-to-day basis, the things that we're talking about are real. They're not pie in the sky, kind of, oh, isn't that nice? This isn't, um, you know, a, a theoretical thing. This is real dollars and cents. This is why customers do these projects. I I have seen, though, more than a few projects that don't go somewhere because someone just kind of says, uh, do I have to? Is, you know, they'd rather do nothing than do something. They're not as comfortable with moving forward with um, a project for any number of reasons. That's where I hope this goes. It's, it's you know, building on the sound fi- financial foundations of saving or generating energy in order to save costs. And then building that not only, you know, within a building, but then within a block, within a borough, within the whole city, and then hopefully nationwide. It's it's the wave of the future. Distributed energy is here and it's bringing great benefits. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic as a professional in the field. I'd love to see a lot of these projects that I think end up in, you know, office drawers proverbially, but we have yet to see what's actually going to happen. So you've got these growing pains and some uncertainties, but ultimately what I'm hearing you say is that this is going to grow the pie for all kinds of building upgrades. What does that look like in terms of the types of projects that you guys are going to be focused on? The pie will definitely grow. How much it grows is a great question. On the extreme might be something like insulation. You know, are we we putting thick insulation around an existing building? It may be something like converting an existing building from one type of heating and cooling system to something that is is hydronic, which is based on water, uh, which is a bit more efficient or to some kind of heat pump, you know, there's the low hanging fruit and then there's stuff that's deeper and deeper. The clear message that I've understood is that as of 2030, the low hanging fruit will be over. There will be serious need to undertake deep energy retrofits. What those things are exactly remain to be seen. And and there's going to be yardsticks that will be reevaluated as we move 
move along. But I mean, Aaron, how do you, how do you see that for, you know, you've got really committed customers, you know, you work with a number of nonprofits, universities, I mean, people who really like live and breathe, they believe not only the, the mission and the goal, but they want to implement interesting projects. What, what do you think they're going to want to do? Well, there's what they want to do and then what they have to do. For instance, local law 88 is coming down the pipeline. I think that kicks in 2025, which mandates that all buildings over 25,000 square feet have to replace all existing lights with LED uh, lighting and also have to install sub-metering, which gives you uh, the ability to see more granular level what it is, all the loads that that the, the service is feeding, where that's going, how it's doing. So there are mandated projects on that level which are going to have very quick and real return on investments. But as Paul said, that really will, in some ways, finish up the low-hanging fruit. And then it's the deeper dive into, well, then do we tackle building envelope? Do we look at DR? Is it a question of uh, developing off-site renewables like a solar farm in Westchester or someplace you know upstate and then essentially piping those electrons down so you can essentially uh, offset your carbon number with RECs, therein lies the balancing act. And that's really what's what keeps us at the table having these conversations because we have to look at the building's use holistically and then figure out where they're going to get the most bang for their buck. Now, again, a lot of our clientele are hospitals. Hospitals live under very different set of regulations and realities that other buildings don't. You know, they're open 24-7, 365. They're running MRIs at midnight. Like they are just constantly using energy and they have to, for health safety reasons, circulate the air a certain number of times every year. They have to keep uh, every hour, excuse me, you have to uh, keep negative pressure. It's it's for, for contamination purposes. So you can't just shut down a hospital to upgrade an HVAC uh, system. You have to stage it. It takes time. And again, getting back to one of the issues about the bill is the truncated time, the short time frame. The city, when I say the city, I mean the building owners, the, the people who live in it. What we're asking them to do is to take really bold steps, uh, which normally would could take a decade, and we're trying to shove it into a much shorter period of time. So it's it's pressurizing everything. That's where people are having major problems. You know, we're not just talking about a, a technical financial change. We're talking about, about a mental shift for many customers out there who have never approached greenhouse gas or energy efficiency with any great seriousness. They will have to. It's required under the law. But you know, the deeper energy retrofits. I mean, the, the real thornier issues here are around um, heating and cooling, you know, basically decarbonizing heating and cooling. That's probably one of the, the bigger challenges out there. 50 to 70% of a building's energy use is non-core, has to do with behavioral. So hospitals, great example, super energy intensive activities. Uh, data centers are kind of a bunch of computers, uh, but there there's a lot of variety within data centers on how you can heat and cool. There's a lot of innovation happening in that space. It's going to be a fascinating time to be in this space because there will be so much innovation. And what about the building owners? If this is so pressurized, as you say, but also there's recognition that we need to take action like this, how do you convince them of the overall benefit? In many ways, when you really get down to the, this law is about 
cutting greenhouse gas. It's about using less electricity. It's about having a more climate-friendly approach to the way we live. But if we can flip it on its head and make this really into a messaging issue, it's a marketing campaign. It's a, if we can convince people that well, this will improve their lives. Yes, it's about sitting down and figuring out energy projects, chiller upgrades, uh, air source heat pumps, geothermal, electrification of the grid, what have you. But really what it comes down to is getting all of the stakeholders in the city together around a table and figuring out a way to talk to their constituents and explain to them the benefit in it, the overall, the general benefit of it. It will make everything better for everybody if we're all in this together. We started this conversation with a lot of caution, but we ended up with some optimism. Considering that there's a lot of detail that still needs to be hashed out in New York, where do both of you fall on the caution to optimism scale? Paul, what about you? I'm an optimistic person by nature. I'm optimistic that the vision Aaron just painted, that we all roll up our sleeves and move forward is going to be the reality. If I'm honest with myself, over the last eight years that I've been in the US, I was overseas prior for a few years, I have seen a sea change in the mentality that people have towards efficiency, renewable generation, resiliency, all the topics we've been discussing. I'd like this to move from the low numbers of adopters to the 30, 40, 50% of adopters. We're not there yet. We're not in the middle of the market. There's so much more to go. I have spoken to a number of personal contacts and others who have brought up some really good issues. I'm optimistic that through the process, through this very turbulent discussion time frame, frankly, there are going to be some, some obvious misses, but that, that nine times out of 10, we're going to get it right. And we're going to provide the off-balance sheet uh, financing for entities that couldn't afford a certain number of projects, that we're going to find ways to make it easy for cooperatives and office towers and universities to be able to get as much out of, the, uh, out of these projects as possible. So this is probably the most significant environmental legislation that any city has passed anywhere. So I'm optimistic that it moves forward in the way that, that we've been discussing today and, and doesn't become watered down. So I, I too would like to echo Paul's optimism. Generally speaking, I'm an optimistic person. I, I believe in solutions, not problems. I'm optimistic that it think good things will happen because they have to happen. But until we get to a point in our national conversation where we're not fighting over two plus two equals four, we're going to have a really hard time. It's going to be a struggle. And guys like Paul and myself are just going to have to put our head down and deploy, deploy, deploy. Right now, it's just about getting in front of our clients, getting in front of people, having conversations, and hopefully convincing them that it makes sense for them to consider these things. Some of them are being mandated and some of them are, are um, optional. But again, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for jobs and for positive improvement in our community. Aaron Miller is a partner at Gotham 360, a consultancy focused on energy management. Aaron, thanks. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This has been great. And Paul Kuhn is a sales director of distributed energy at Centrica Business Solutions. Paul, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. 
This podcast was produced on behalf of Centrica Business Solutions. Centrica is using analytics, market know-how, and distributed energy technologies to help CNI customers take control of their energy use and improve environmental performance, including in New York. To learn more, visit centricabusinesssolutions.com. Thanks a lot for listening.